Hello, everybody. Welcome to the show. It is hot outside. Let me tell you, I, well, I work outside and uh, these last few days have just been brutal. Um, if you're listening to this in the future, past the week it came out, um, it it's July. It's um, mid-July, so we're coming up on the really hot part of the year. And uh, boy, oh boy, Whew, it, I'm certainly feeling it. And uh, I was just talking to my mom about it because these last few weeks, months, whatever, um, it seems to hit right right after lunch. And I don't, we're trying to figure out if it's food related or heat related or a combination of both. But I get these stomach cramps or this tightening or it just feels strange. And uh, we're, you know, so I, I've, I've changed my diet up a little bit. As I've probably mentioned in the past, I've been doing um, Weight Watchers the last two months. I'm a little over two months now. And uh, it's been great. I mean, I'm down between... 10 and 15 pounds, um, which is cool, but I don't, I'm hoping I should say that it has not going to have a poor effect on, uh, my overall internal health. Um, not to get too graphic, but yeah, it's been just a little like, it's, I don't know, unsettling and it creeps up after lunch, maybe half an hour or so after lunch. And, you know, I've been trying to drink water and, and stay hydrated and all that stuff. But the more and more I think about it, it's got to be heat related or something. But anyone out there that has had this issue or or knows um, what this could be, please let me know. Uh, feel free to reach out to me and uh, give me a hand. But uh, regardless, uh, we're here to listen to a podcast and uh, that's exactly what we're going to do. So let me introduce my guest. Um, his name is Daniel Douglas, which is funny because he goes by Doug, or, if he, or at least I've always known him as Doug. Um, so you'll hear me mention it a few times or refer to him as Doug. Um, it made it easier, especially seeing as we had the same first name, to just call him that. And uh, uh, yeah, so when I hear Daniel, it's like, wait a minute, what? Uh, it's the same thing with uh, when I hear KJ say his real name being, or Kijan, somebody calling him his real name. And I'm like, oh, that's right. KJ is not your real name. Like I'm just, you get so used to hearing something of somebody's and uh, it's hard to hear something different. Uh, I guess it's why it stands out to me when somebody calls me Daniel. Although um, my brother calls me that pretty regularly. So it's not a super surprise, but when anybody else says it, it's a little like, wait, what, who you're talking to me? Um, but anyway, he, uh, he was a great conversation holder, great conversationalist, great uh, person to interview and talk to um, because not only did we talk comics and pop culture stuff and what he's been doing and what I've been doing and all that good stuff, but we kind of towards the end got into some um, more current event um, topics and uh, situations and it was nice to um, exchange ideas on that and... Um, kind of share some experiences with certain situations pertaining to not only coronavirus, but the Black Lives Matter movement and things like that. And um, I think it's really valuable to have these types of conversations, even if they're not always the most comfortable. And uh, certainly um, I felt happy that we were able to uh, at least touch on a few of those things. Um, 
But anyway, um, I will uh, allow you, not allow you, you can do whatever you want. Um, I will play for you this episode now. I do hope you enjoy it. As always, um, if you're driving, focus on the road, but do um, listen to it. I hope you get something out of it. And if not, if you're just hanging out, maybe sit in the backyard, um, make a nice cocktail for yourself, have a drink. Um, my, my current drink of the summer has been Moscow mules. I just been finding them so refreshing. Um, I'm getting all my friends and stuff into it too. They're really easy to make. Um, if you don't know, it's, it's, a uh, vodka, ginger beer, and a little lime juice. Um, it kind of has like a, a, a Sprite feel, um, or taste. And, uh, I like that. So very refreshing. Those have been mine. So if, if you're into Moscow mules, maybe make a Moscow mule for yourself. Uh, sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. What's up, Dan? How you doing, man? It's been a minute. Yeah, man, I'm doing good. It has been a while. What up you got going on over here? Nice. What's up? Oh, yeah. Well, you know, trying to look good for you, man. (laughs) (laughs) No, uh, I I apologize for uh, the lateness. I I was trying to see if I could do a backup recording somewhere else and it got all complicated with trying to do zoom and my mix and whatever. So every, every episode, it seems like I'm, I'm always fiddling with something, trying to, you know, make it better for the next one. And it always seems like I wait till the last minute. So that's, that's something I got to work on myself, but. Hey man, it shows your progress, man. That's all it shows is progress. You're learning as you're going. Well, yes, exactly. That's what I'm, uh, what I'm trying to do, but, uh, yeah. How, how are things been for you? It's like you said, it's been a while. Oh yeah. Uh, things are going, yeah. You know, I can say things are better now. Um, things were going great, you know, pre Corona. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, now I guess in the, I guess Corona, Corona time. Um, yeah, things are good now. I'm more stable. Um, I got my job. Um, um, I'm currently, I was in the middle of teaching, and then my job got, you know, cut and then, you know, um, cause I'm working as a contractor and then I got this recent job, um, you know, back as teaching, but more so as like a tech coordinator and, um, you know, doing that. And then, you know, I'm going to, you know, doing some federal government work as well. And also I'm doing a little bit of rebrand, rebranding of my own stuff. Cause funny enough, um, I actually wanted to have my YouTube page launched, um, yeah, around this time. But um, because of, you know, Corona and financial setbacks as well, I had to, um, you know, redo my timetable a little bit. But yeah, you know, things are still really good, you know, really, really, really good. So what, uh, what were you trying to do with your YouTube channel? So with my YouTube channel, honestly, I wanted to do, I have, this, I've always had this like, you know, idea like I wanted to create my own like universe or whatever and originally I wanted to do it in comic book form and you know I was gonna you know do the whole kickstarter um get like you know get Alex as like you know to help me out his writing and things like that and but then the more and more I like you know formulated out and talked about it you know I was kind of thinking back um you know like when um image started coming around in like the 90s you know that was when comics were like really big and then you know Spawn was able to you know, show up and do his own and do his own thing with, you know, Todd McFarlane and all them. 
And now I'm looking at the, you know, just the industry and how everything is now. Things are going more so in the direction of animation and, you know, just more so like more visually stimulating media. And as much as I love comic books and things of that nature, like I will like, I'm even, I'm still trying to be an illustrator. I'm still trying to go to be an illustrator for at least one of the big two. And, but honestly, um, I think the medium, I don't think the medium is dying, but I don't think the medium is going to get the traction that, you know, people are going to think that it is, it should be getting because of the movies and things like that. Like, you know, I'm just seeing a, you know, I'm seeing a paradigm shift, so to speak. And, you know, I think now is the time to, you know, as much as I really wanted to do it, you know, I probably still can do it, but, you know, it's not going to pay, it's not going to, you know, pay the bills, you know, do the things that I want to do. So, yeah. So just refresh my memory. So when in school, you went more of the graphic design illustration route. Is that correct? Um, yes. At first, at first it was, um, yeah, the motion graphic design route. And then but the thing about the motion graphic design route, it didn't show enough of the film aspect. It showed more so like the technique, like, okay, this is how you do this and this. But, you know, if you're doing motion graphic design, then, you know, you're going to be adding some film aspect angles into it. But we never really got that. Or if we did get it, it was like the basics. So then I switched over to interdisciplinary, which allowed me to do motion graphic design and um, also do editing as well. Because, you know, with because I always felt like doing animation and then also video editing, I felt like that meshed really well. And it's still, you know, for me, it does. Right. Yeah, that allowed me to learn more about the animation angle on the film side. And, you know, I felt like that was the more fulfilling experience because if I just kept strictly with the motion graphic area, like I would know how to animate, but I wouldn't know how to put those principles. I don't know how to put those animation principles into the film principles like I know now. Sure. That makes a lot of sense, actually. And did from like a young age were you trying to animate? I know a lot of people do like stop motion. They do all different types of things. Was that something you were exploring? No, like originally, like straight up, all I wanted to do was just be an illustrator, a comic book illustrator. Like I said, like from the eight, from like, yeah, from elementary school, when me and my friends would just, you know, um, do art competitions with each other all the time. Like I always wanted to draw for either DC or Marvel. I was more so of a, let's see, yeah, I was more so of a DC guy. You know, definitely a DC, even though I'm wearing an X-Men shirt right now. Right. But, oh yeah. People, you know, listening to the podcast can't see, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, like that's all I really wanted to do. And then the more and more I actually, you know, grew up, <laughs> you know, and, and looked at the other avenues that I actually wanted to do and how that would actually give me like, you know, a living, like a career. Um, I saw that animation was more so in my, it was more so in my avenue as well, especially with, um, with the streaming services and, and things like that becoming more and more of a norm. And even, and, um, uh, even, you know, YouTube, it's like, you know, I was, you know, we were all there when it was born and we've seen it grow and grow and it's, and it's growing now to the point where YouTube is now literally its own cable service. They have YouTube TV, like, right. You know, it, it, like, like I'm saying, like I said, again, it's a par- there's a paradigm shift happening and, you know, you gotta get on board or you're just going to be left in, left in the water. Do you think there's, um, too many 
sources of entertainment and, and, and avenues like a YouTube and all this stuff, or do you think it's just the right amount? I believe it's starting to teeter on too much because funny enough, back in the day when it was okay. Yeah. Let's say it was a time when there was just uh, YouTube and then, you know, Netflix came on, came on the boat. That was very, that was yeah, technically the very first one. Well, or if it wasn't the first one, it was the one that made it popular. Sure. And then came Hulu. And, you know, Hulu wasn't, it wasn't Netflix, but it, it wasn't not Netflix either. You know, it's, it's, it's like if Netflix was McDonald's, Hulu was Burger King. Okay. That's a good analogy. Like, you know, it was like that. And honestly, between those two and YouTube as well, because, you know, people go on YouTube, you know, they got the, you know, they um, pirated the stuff, you know, uploaded on there before it gets copyright strike, stuff like that. Right. And that was honestly enough. That was enough right there. And then after a while, you know, um, Hulu started to, you know, get more serious. Then it came to Hulu Plus. And now Hulu Plus and Hulu just merged. And now it's a legit streaming service. Right. And now we have HBO Max, Disney Plus, HBO Go, Amazon Prime TV, and so on and so forth. And, you know, and, and, and you can see it as sort of like a 50-50. You can see it as a half gla- uh, glass half full, glass half empty. You see like, okay, there's, there's too much, you know, entertainment going on. You know, nobody's going to be able to actually get proper exposure. You know, the, the only people that are actually going to get exposure are the people that have been in the industry longer and have more experience, you know, more resources, connections. But then there's the half, you know, glass half full. And it's just like, well you know, that's even more, that's, that's even more of a, um, you know, a, a push point or drive for individuals to, you know, get more exposure because now with these streaming services, you don't have the cable restrictions, right? You, know, you can show your true vision and, you know, you know, in, and yeah, it is kind of like, it is kind of like separating your audience a little bit because, then it's just like, okay, now I got to, you know, go over here to look at this. And then I got to go over here to look at this. And I really like all my stuff together, which is essentially what cable is. And honestly, I feel like it will, you know, circle back to that eventually. Or, you know, because like, it's either going to be one big streaming service that has just the right amount of stuff that everybody wants. Right. Or you know, it's just going to be, or it's, uh, you know, just like streaming services are just going to go away and we're just going to go back to cable. Yeah. It's funny that I remember a few years ago for a long time, it was, you know, cut cable to be cheaper, right? Cause you get the streaming service. But what those streaming services aren't telling you is they want you to just get theirs. But then now you're, like you just said, you have HBO and you have this and you have that and it starts to add up. And I, we're, we have to be paying more, at least on my end, I'm, I'm, I'm living at home right now, but you know, I could tell even just the streaming services I have personally has to be either on par or more than a cable service would be. But to your point, it, I think it would, um, exclude, I mean, how many shows where it's like, Oh, did you see this thing? Oh, what, Oh, it's on Hulu. Oh, I don't have Hulu. I can't watch that. And you're now you're excluded. Back in the day, it's you plug one cable and hey, did you see that thing on NBC? Yeah, yeah, I saw that. It's all I had to do was turn the TV on. It's 
it's definitely going to like, and, uh, uh, I also find in, in kind of in comparison with that, that I spend more time trying to find something to watch than actually watching because I'm just so overwhelmed with the amount of choices. That is another thing as well that is also becoming a thing that is becoming like a more and more of a bigger factor is the fact that um, like, I feel like companies are, they're, they're trying to take shortcuts kind of just, just on that. Like they'll give you all of this stuff mm -hmm. and you're so busy looking for it, looking for the right thing to watch. And then it's just like, when you find that one thing, then it's like, okay, cool. But what if that one thing is the only thing you're going to watch on there? Right. That's true. And the next thing, and the next thing that comes on and that, you know, you're going to watch, which is, you know, which may actually coincidentally be like the reason you even got the service in the first place. Cause that's how it is with a lot of people. I know a lot of friends that like got Disney plus strictly for the Mandalorian or strictly for clone wars. And then afterwards they dipped. Mm -hmm. And honestly, I'm just like, well, I kind of don't blame you, you know, for being honest. Yeah. Yeah. Because I mean, for someone like that, you know, they could just sit there and make Gmail and Yahoo's each year, get a free account, watch all the episodes, cancel it again, repeat, you know, watch and repeat the next year. And, uh, you know, Disney doesn't make any money off of them, but I think something like that, they, they, obviously of course bring you in with something and hope you'll stay around. Cause you're like, Oh snap, this thing's on here. Oh, I haven't seen this in a while, especially with Disney. I think their bread and butter is nostalgia. Oh, uh, yeah. And I mean, especially for people of our generation where it's, you know, the, the sweet life of Zach and Cody's the, you know, the Hannah Montana's the cartoons, the, all this kind of stuff that we watched as a kid. And now you're like, let me just see if this holds up. Let me watch one episode. Now you, you know, four hours go by, you're 10 episodes in and you're like, Holy crap, what, how did I, you know, and, and, and that's how they get you, you know, versus these other platforms that, um, their bread and butter is more like obviously original content. They're trying to make these soon to be classics, if that makes sense. Um, so it's always interesting what each of their angles are, um, and how they kind of pull you in. And, um, and the other thing that, that, another thing that I really do applaud these, um, like all these streaming services we're doing is that they're trying to, you know, show, they are trying to show new stuff. I will give them that. Like they're trying to show stuff that they, that we honestly wouldn't be able to get on cable, the cable restrictions and things like that. But see, that's, See, that's the reason, see, that's the reason why I was so fine with all that happening on Netflix mm -hmm. because it's just like, okay, so Netflix is going to be the place where we can go and do all the really cool and creative stuff that we want to do on cable, but we can't. Like, for example, like when I watch Arrow on CW, like, well, you know, RIP Arrow, but, um, when I watch Arrow on CW, you know, I'm like, you know, astound at the, you know, the the cinematography, the choreography, everything like that, you know, it's, it's cool for, it's, it's cool and up and, you know, good tier for cable television, but then you go to Netflix and you watch daredevil and they're able to do so much more. And funny enough, 
they may even be able to do so much more with like a smaller budget, funny enough. And it works. But when like, when everybody else does it, when everybody starts to do it, then it starts to become like, you know, like a, like a financial issue over like a, you know, an enjoyment issue. Like mm. people want, people want to be able, like people are fine with paying for something as long as one, they're able to enjoy it. And two, they're able to come back because it's, I don't want to say it's like a drug, but it, it's kind of like a drug because it's just like, Oh, I, I want to keep on watching this, but I don't want it to break the bank. Well, they, they kind of want a return on investment. Yeah. Right. They, they, if they're going to shell out X amount of dollars a month or a year, whatever their plan is, it's like, well, we better see something up to caliber, you know, on these services. Like I know going back with Netflix, obviously when they started, they launched, I don't know, 10 years ago, whatever it was there. I mean, first they were a DVD service, which is what we had at first in our house, at least. Um, and I remember always, you know, ordering DVDs and all that stuff. And then of course came the streaming thing and we were, I think a little late to the game, but I remember at first it was like no original content. All they had was borrowed stuff. Mm -hmm. And now they've come out and said like, we want to be almost predominantly original stuff. But I think part of that also goes back to what I was saying before in that they almost don't have a choice because we have all these other streaming services that are like, yeah, we're going to take our stuff back and do it on our own streaming service because we'll make more money that way, which from a business standpoint, I totally don't knock them. I think that's totally understandable, right? You got to make your own money on your stuff. Totally understand. But from a Netflix point of view, it's like, we're just trying to provide a service where um, people can come and watch things and, you know, little slice for me, little slice for you, maybe a bigger slice for you, whatever it is. And now it's like, everything is no, no, we want our stuff back. We want our stuff back. So now Netflix is scrambling or at least how it looks scrambling to make up for it with their own content. And I think ultimately, you know, we're getting a bit more, not so good stuff compared to good stuff. Do you, do you find that to be the truth or, or another way? No, I, I feel like, yeah, I would say about, I would say about like 50. Yeah. I would give that about a good 50, 50 as well, because yeah, I will agree with you. There is like Netflix has been trying to pump out a lot of original stuff. Like they are pumping them out like really quickly. And you know what they say, you know, when you pump out something really quick, you know, the quality is not going to be the best. Right. So yeah, there's that. But then there are those like, you know, there are those golden eggs, you know, out of those, like, let's say like 15 original series, uh, the 15 original series, maybe like one or two of them are actually good, you know? And so, you know, it's like, that's what I'm saying. Like it's 50, 50, like there's some good ones and some other ones, but also that, that also goes in turn of like, you know, the artists or, you know, like pretty much like the direct, like, you know, um, the budget and things like that. Like maybe the director and the writer have this big vision, but they have this, you know, very small budget that you can't do with it. Like, for example, like, uh, like turbo kid, like I know for, I know for a fact that if they were given just like, maybe I don't know, like, like, uh, say ballpark around like a hundred thousand more dollars, that would have been like a legit, you know, Mad Max X, uh, S like, uh, futuristic type thing. 
Mm-hmm. And I still really like the. I still really like the movie. That was a really like good movie. But um, you know, like you know, it's based off of um, you know, the vision of the director or the writer. So it mainly depends on them. But going back to what you were saying, yeah, it is. Um, you know, the quality is starting to go down. It is becoming more noticeable. Yeah. So and kind of circling back to what it is that you want to do. I mean, as far as animation, cause we're, I guess we, we, we've been kind of talking more in the live action realm. Mm. Where, where do you think animation is? Do you think, uh, I know like shows like, uh, young justice kind of been coming back or since you're wearing the X-Men shirt, it made me think of on Disney plus they have obviously X-Men now. Um, do you think there's as much nostalgia with those kind of shows or are people more interested in, in newer stuff with animation or, or, you know, what's your kind of take on that? You know, it's really, you know, Dan, I've been struggling with that question for a very long time because you know me, I'm a purist of old school style animation. Like man, that nineties animation style, the stuff we grew up with. And even, even like back in the eighties, man, like, like that's like, that's, that's me. Like I was a strictly 2d person. I was like, no, 2d is the way to go. 3D is going to hold us back. It's not going to show the emotion. It's not going to show the depth of the characters. But as I got older, Dan, as, as, as we all do, I started to, you know, open my eyes and look around and notice. I was like, okay, you know what? There is an audience for us. But I, what I've come to realize is that the audience for us is for the streaming services. Mm. That's, that's our audience. Like our audience is streaming service. That's where we can get the stuff... Like, for example, like, um, I mean, I, okay, this isn't the best example, but <laughs> um, actually, no. Well, yeah, this isn't the best example, but Titans. Mm-hmm. So, okay, on Cartoon Network, you know, they decided to revive the Teen Titans show with the original cast and everything, but then it turned out to be Teen Titans Go. But, and, you know, it's on Cartoon Network, and the children that are watching Cartoon Network right now are children right grown grown men and women and you know cartoon network isn't going to cater to grown men and women so you know then enter dc then enter you know what what should have been the cw enter dc universe where now you can go and see that show you can now you can now go watch the show with these characters that you used to watch you know when you were younger and it's not exactly like that show but you know, it, it's, it's that it's in that age bracket that you would like that show to be, you know, I guess in that sense, if you understand what I'm saying. Yeah, I think so. So yeah, like, um, streaming, sir, like, like, and so in saying that going back to the animation piece in terms of, in terms of animation, like we're good, both, both angles. Like, you know, there are individuals I know that want to see a mature animated Power Rangers series. And then you can switch it back over to just regular Power Rangers on the cable. And, you know, like more than likely, let's say, for instance, you know, they'll have some new animation. They'll have some new animation power animated Power Rangers thing on the cable for the kids. You know, something like that. You know, just you know, to sit down and watch, you know, and. And in saying that, like, I feel like, you know, like, um, animation is going to be, you know, the new, 
you know, the new stable, especially in terms of, you know, television series, because, um, on, because on, on top of that, you know, I do believe that TV is starting to, is may actually, yeah, we're starting to overpower the movie experience because TV is starting to become more theatrical and you can, you know, really engross yourself in an entire, let's say, 12 episode series. And honestly, you can engross yourself in that 12 episode series by yourself in the comfort of your own room. Right. <laughs> and, you know, and, and now with everything being all digital and everything like that, you know, the movie experience just isn't what it used to be anymore because we can have the movie experience anywhere now. That's true. Yeah. I've, I've been hearing that a lot and noticing that a lot that we're kind of in that TV renaissance and, and kind of, a um, the best time or the best Avenue to go in is for people they say is TV as far as more original things, right? Because we're seeing, you know, how many reboots, how many, uh, sequels and uh the the old sequelitis type of thing um but something i wanted to ask you more on before we moved on was you mentioned about 2d showing more animation uh more emotion rather um and i was just curious like compared to 3d why do you why do you think it's able to show more emotion with i guess less for lack of a better word you know you know, it's really funny that you, that you say that though, because it's, it's almost as if like, you know, it's going to going to get like a little theological, I guess a little bit, uh, you know, philosophical and theological, I guess a little bit, but it's like, you can connect with the character more for some reason. Like the, like you can, like you look at the detail, like the hardness of the pencil line of the outline of the character when they do something or even like, you know, you see like their eyes, and, things like, and the funny thing is like some people will be like, well, you can do the exact same thing with 3D animation, too. And honestly, you can, especially now, like, for example, like um, I was just playing Final Fantasy 7 Remake, you know, on my PS4. And that's, you know, 3D animated. It's beautiful. It's it's lit perfectly. It looked like they look almost like us, but like, you know, that little extra little anime filter mm-hmm. they add in there. But when you look at 2D and when you look at 2D, it's here's an example. Okay. Here's a good example. It's like watching a water. It's like watching a waterfall. You look at a waterfall. How do you feel? Pretty good. Like uh, relaxed. But when you look at like, say like uh, a rock slide, how do you feel? Probably this is sound funny, but like almost in a sense of danger or uncomfortable. That's kind of like how it is because you can, no matter how, like, no matter how, like, you know, beautiful, like a 3d waterfall looks when you look at to say, like when you watch like a 3d animated, whatever, and you look at a waterfall there, but then watch some, watch like a Disney, watch like a Disney movie and watch their water just fall it's so smooth and, and soothing. It, it's almost as if they're trying to replicate what it would be like to be right there. And that's, and that's really what 2d really does for me. Like it, it, it brings you closer to the characters. Like it feels like, 
it feels like the characters are like 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 malleable like paper which is funny because you know it's hand drawn usually on paper so i wonder if it's and i think you kind of touched on it i wonder if it has something to do with the 2d even though 3d is obviously done by real people because it's more often done in a well not more often it is always done in a computer i'm assuming um versus like you said a hand-drawn thing with the hand-drawn you know there's somebody behind it who put the time and sweat and all that stuff to make it look the way it does and you know move the way it does and have these expressions that way versus a computer which i'm sure we're approaching a a point where it's almost um automated in itself or where it's like okay well we've got the basic model now we we can just go frame by frame and sit there and move it and you know whatever and this is this is coming from somebody who has a very limited knowledge of how all this works so certainly correct me if i'm wrong but with hand drawing and all this kind of stuff you're there's just it seems like there's a bit more and i don't want to say more work because they're both work intensive but there's a bit more um of a uh a personal touch maybe there we go there we go right there you hit it you hit the nail right right on the head right there you like when you when you read a com when you like when you read a comic a really really well drawn comic like uh like for example like one of my favorite well drawn comics is is civil war um that the comic is so beautifully drawn and you can see like the detail of like each emotion of the character and these are all static images and the funny thing about it is these are all static images like it's it's not like it's not even a 2d animated thing it's it's just like a comic book you know it's a static image you're look you you know just following through and you know, you're you're thinking of voices to put into the character's head as you're reading their dialogue bubbles and things like that and you can and and it's so well crafted that you can it's so easy to just supplement the right emotion for that character for whatever it's doing because it's just like well even though this character has a face like this maybe this character is happy and it's just like in the way that you read the dialogue and the way that you look at the person's face you can make that connection and all that is through the work of the artist and the you know the writer but in this case the penciler Hmm. Yeah, I never thought of it that way, but I suppose thinking back on it now, it, it makes a lot more sense because I know I've, I mean, I've got my favorite 3D animated movies, but I certainly think if I really sat down and thought about it, I probably had a, would have a longer list of 2D animated films and without being able to always put my finger on why, I think that's now why, because there's a bit more, like I said, of a personal touch to it and a bit more, um, not, not a vintage, but it's just a more, uh, yeah, I guess old school or something type of way that we seem to all gravitate towards nowadays. Um, everything, right. We want like it was right. This, this, or at least as far as like clothing and this, this kind of thing, right. We all, we all want these vintage clothes and thrifting and old technology and all this stuff. And it's something I'm fascinated with as far as why we are this way. Why, why all of a sudden, especially our generation and not to single us out necessarily, but 
I just, I'm always curious to know why do we have such a, um, attachment for not only things that were from when we were younger, but maybe when our parents were younger, you know, uh, film cameras, uh, vinyl records, um, again, vintage clothing, all this kind of stuff. Is it because we felt it was a simpler time? Uh, it was an easier time. Uh, did we just think, Oh, things needed to be recycled and what comes around goes around type of thing. Uh, have, have you, have you thought about this kind of stuff at all? Or is it just me? No, I thought about it. I thought about it to an extent. Yeah. Because, um, honestly, um, you know, I remember, oh man, it was like back in our early two thousands, not even early two thousands. It was like back in, uh, you know, the, yeah, like, uh, maybe 2013, maybe around that time. It was, it was around the time I was in high school and I saw this woman with, you know, this, this, this really, this big, you know, night, like Afrocentric Afro. And I was thinking to myself, I was like, who wears an Afro anymore? Nobody wears an Afro anymore. And then, you know, my, then my mom just started telling me like, oh yeah, you know, it was probably just coming back around. And, you know, and that's a thing that just happens with each generation. Like whenever, whenever we're on like a precipice of change, we start to, you know, try to dial back, you know, to like things that are like, you know, like, uh, like very, like very, very sentimental, like things that would be sentimental. Like, for example, like, oh, yeah, like a very old, uh, like, like, photo, like, you know, um, like camera or something like that. So maybe it symbolizes the fact of like, oh, you know, back in the day when things weren't so, you know, mechanical or something like that. Like, you know, just like trying to like trying to find a type of familiarity in, in, in spite of the change. So that way, like if you don't recognize anything else you recognize that certain thing or you recognize what you have on or you recognize yourself or something like that because, you know, uh, but yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, you're, you're absolutely right. I think it is a sentimental thing. And, um, as you touched on, it's, it's, um, I think now kind of circling back with the animation in a way of, uh, the cleaner versus more, personal touch type of thing. You know, I collect film, uh, cameras. I have them all sitting here in my office and, uh, I also shoot them as well. I don't just have them sitting and stuff like that. And there's such a cool feeling. Uh, there's a better word for, for it than that, but essentially, you know, knowing that it's entirely mechanical, there's no electronic part of it. Maybe if it has a little light meter in it or something like that. So it takes one of those little disc batteries, but other than that, it's fully mechanical. It's, you know, you treat it well, it's going to last you forever. Now it's, you know, we have these phones, which are they're great. They do all these amazing things, right? We can answer the doorbell. We can order food. We can FaceTime with our friends. You know, it does all these crazy things, but it can break in a second. You drop it once, boom, it could break. Now it's no good you drop some of these things are built like tanks, you know, you just dust it off. It's, it's good to go, or you can replace it or, you know, because all it is is one little piece out for another. Right. And I think that's certainly the way I've looked at things. It's, I like this kind of mechanical feel of somebody built this 
not a machine. Somebody sat there like um, the camera company, Leica, they're handmade in Germany. They sit there and they tighten all the screws one by one and they put the pieces in and, you know, I don't own one because they're super expensive, but maybe one day, but when you pick one of those up, you're like, I can, you could tell somebody made this instead of like, you know, robot arm, you know, putting these drills in and, you know, whatever you could see these little moments or little things that make it special, I think. Yeah. And that's exactly, and that's exactly how it is. And that's exactly how I feel personally, how I feel. I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to act like, you know, I'm the arbiter of, of all 2d animated speakers. Like, no, I am the guy you listen to me, not them, me. No. <laughs> personally like to me whenever i see a 2d animated character like you know just just move or like stretch or yawn like i can it's like i can see like you know i can see like their muscles like move like you know like i can like the way i can see like you know you lift your hand or or squeeze something that's how i feel when i look at a 2d animated thing because i can see all the like the intricate little details of how this character is animated to do that Whereas with a 3D model, all I'm going to see is the 3D model. And, you know, yeah, they, yeah, they have gotten to the point where they can like get like wrinkles or like little bits of uh, like, like, like flesh or stuff like that when they're like eating food and things like that, you know, seeing the crumbs and things. But I don't know, it's still, you can still see like there's like that little bit that you can still see that mechanical feature of it and it just takes me out of it even though i know it looks it looks beautiful like with thanos like i'm like thanos i know you you look like you look really great but i know you're fake Mm -hmm. and like like i know this isn't like a practical effect that's fake but it's still good i just can't connect with it like that I suppose it's, it's in a more live action sense. It's more, it's a practical versus computer generated thing, right? We all love, uh, you know, the, the older star Wars because pre changes, um, they're, (laughs) they're practical things. Yeah. They're models and they're not real ships or, you know, they're, uh, whatever, like plastic things or whatever, but we could tell that they're physically holding them or interacting with this, set or you know there's a there's a uh, a realness to it versus the sort of clean you know approach to it where uh especially with humanoid uh characters like thanos or something or or even um planet of the apes or something like that there's that uncanny valley right that we we experience where it's like i can't put my finger on it but something's just off and it it could like you kind of are hinting at kind of take you out of it a little Mm-hmm. and uh not necessarily ruin the experience for you but i'm sure there's been cases where you're like wow that just really completely took me out of it i've certainly had those oh, moments man. that um, was uh yeah that was fantastic four that was the um the most recent one by josh trank uh-huh uh, um it had a scene with reed and he was like changing his face you know he was trying to morph his face did not look the best and i was like hmm, that's a shame it's it's also a shame too where you see uh where our technology just isn't there yet for what they want to do a good example i think of is uh, rogue one and when they wanted to do grand moff tarkin or 
younger Leia, right? Where it's like, I see what you're going for. It's really cool that you're able to bring him back in some form, but there's just something again in that uncanny valley where you're like ah, something with the mouth or, and it just takes you out of it just enough where you're like, Oh wait, what did he say? I, I was too distracted by, you know, his weird mouth or, you know, his head move or whatever it is um, that who knows, maybe in another 10 years, it'll be there because they don't seem to be slowing down with it. That's for sure. So there's one thing that I can say about Disney, just sticking on like the, you know, the just bringing back people from the dead with visual effects, like, or even de-aging them. I'm like, okay, this is starting to get even ridiculous, even for me. Cause I'm like, okay, you guys are literally almost there. Like, like they're closer out of literally anyone else in the game. Like I remember the first time I saw someone get digitally de-aged was when I watched Tron Legacy with my dad in the theaters. They de-aged, um, oh God. Jeff Bridges. Jeff Bridges. I don't know how I keep on forgetting this guy's name. But yeah, they de-aged Jeff Bridges. I remember at the time, I thought that was the coolest thing in the world. I look back and you know what's funny? It's still, it's, it's done by Disney. Like they, They've always had this technology. But um, I was like, okay, yeah, but it's still pretty darn good like for the time like it, you can notice it a little bit more but i'm like wow they, wow it's, it's pretty good mm-hmm. oh okay and then uh what is it i think yeah it was about avengers and endgame that's when they just they were like okay we're just gonna de-age everybody de-age everybody and i'm just like wow okay we get it you guys can bring people back from the dead all right cool yeah, there there was a couple moments here where it was like almost one too many mm-hmm. of the de-aging. Like I thought it worked for Sam Jackson in Captain Marvel. Mm-hmm. Uh, both Ant-Mans with Michael Douglas were pretty solid. But when it came to Endgame and Michael Douglas, I thought it fell apart just a little. And I don't know if it was just a change in the effects team and it's not necessarily a knock at the effects team. I think it's probably one of the the classic either time or money just ran out and uh, you know, they have all these other battle scenes and whatever to take care of. So they weren't as not to say they weren't concerned, but not at maybe not as concerned with the quick younger Michael Douglas cameo. Mm-hmm. And uh, but yeah, I thought, you know, in the other places where they use it, if they continue to use it in a, we'll call it supporting role for lack of a better word, I think it'll be okay. Right. But if you're going to watch, I mean, again, it was pushing it a little bit with Captain Marvel, but Sam Jackson's one of those people that hasn't aged dramatically. So it's, he can kind of still pull it off. If you were trying to go like, you know, maybe I don't even know, like someone who's a bit older who really shows it. And then you're trying to put him younger. It's like, uh, maybe, you know, maybe just one scene with that or something like that. And I was just, just that was the funniest thing when you said that. I was like, imagine if they de-aged Harrison Ford for the next Indiana Jones. You know, that that <laughs> that movie I have so little faith in. Um yeah. without going too deep down that rabbit hole, all I'll say is I thought three was the perfect ending, and I never needed more than that. Um, I'm a trilogy man. Uh, I think three is a perfect, you know, rise, climax, fall arc. And 
I agree with Spielberg. How, how better to end a trilogy than to literally have him ride off into the sunset <laughs> to only come back, whatever, 20 years later and, you know, be swinging with CGI monkeys. But regardless, um, <laughs> and now pushing 80, I just don't know if I want to see my childhood hero, you know, needing a walker to get some lost gold treasure. Yeah, you know what? All right, just one last little thing. One last little thing. It's something I've really started to notice. And at first I loved it, but now I'm starting to get a little bit annoyed by it. But it's always done so well that I'm just like, I can't really hate, I can't really get that much annoyed by it. Is the old man, is the 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 hero comes back as a super old man and you know he, he has to trug through this one last mission. And, you know, and he's got to save and he's got to protect either insert little boy or little girl and they have to grow together. And then in the end, you know, either the old man dies or he properly retires, which, which that that that's even rare. That last one's rare. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I've started to see that like more and more. And I'm like. What is happening? What, yeah. what? What is this? Is this what we're doing now? We're just bringing back old movies that people want to watch, but it's just to like, you know, kill the character just to, um, you know, pass the baton. When the thing about it is I love that. I always love that type of genre because it's always done well, but I'm starting, but I'm, I'm starting to feel like they're doing too many. Yes, I would agree. I mean, that could be said though about, so many um, basic plot points where, I mean, I forget who said it, but there's really only a certain amount of stories when it boils down to, right? Like, so you have the, the road trip movie, you have the, the, the hero's journey movie, you have this, the revenge tale the this, and all of them just kind of swap out a character here and there or a setting or a time period or a whatever. And that's how they make them different. But when you boil these down, it boils down to a good versus evil or, you know, the whole man versus nature. I'm sure you covered all that stuff in like English and stuff. Mm -hmm. And it, it, uh, I don't know how you look at it, but certainly for me who was making more or wants to make a bit more on the live action side with these stories, I'm like, is there even more stories to tell like and and do i you know you start questioning yourself almost because you're like do i have anything new that i can bring to this table you know i'm working on something right now where i know it's not the most original thing but i feel like i found enough of a foothold to be like okay i can tell my version of this kind of formulaic story but with my own little twist and turn on it or whatever but it's certainly something that's crossed my mind when I approach making things, you know, yeah, I've also gotten, I've also, you know, I've, I've questioned that part too, like, especially like, um, like, yeah, you know, let me, yeah. Bring up the X-Men, for example, like, um, like, you know, like I read a lot of X-Men and it's gotten to a point where I've read enough to notice a pattern and, you know, and unfortunately, Fortunately, the X-Men have only broken that pattern, like maybe like maybe once or twice. That was like way back in the day. So, you know, and then it's, it's just stuck with that pattern. And, you know, it gets to a point 
where I was just, like the the comic run before the one I'm reading right now. It got to a point where they literally smushed like five sentimental X-Men stories into one arc. Hmm. And then they did the same thing with another arc. And the thing, I'm like, that's when I noticed, I was like, oh my God, they're starting to run out of ideas. Like, you know, I like, I was like, oh my God, like they, they literally don't know how to push the X-Men forward anymore besides doing the same thing that they've been doing. And, you know, funny enough, like that works for characters like Spider-Man because Spider-Man is the everyman, like that, that actually works for his character. Right. But the X-Men, like the X-Men are, they, they, they always are like moving forward. Like the point of them is evolution is moving forward, but they've been in the same place. And then just recently, Jonathan Hickman, he, you know, he's a new writer. He's revamped the entire landscape and it's opened up the area for a million new stories. Like I'm not even trying to overhype it. Like, like it literally was a breath of fresh air. Like any new person that wants to come on to the X-Men and do something different, they can because he's laid down the groundwork for the entire area to do something different. And the thing about it is all he changed was one little thing. Hmm. He only changed one little thing. Like in the overall concept of all of it, he only changed one little thing and it, and he was able to do something entirely different. Do you, do you, I know you said you wanted to, um, you know, preferably work or and slash write for one of the big two, preferably you were saying you were DC or you're, are you still DC or kind of just whatever is hiring? I'm like, I'm, as of right now, I am like, you know, strictly Marvel DC, but more so DC, you know, uh-huh. like I said, even though I got an X-Men shirt on, but, <laughs> but yeah, like, um, and DC, in my opinion, they've always been the more, um, they've always been the more adamant and more co- most competent in terms of, um, you know, animate like animated shows and things like that in my book. And like, you know, just keeping, you know, consistency in terms of animation. Like, even if you're not a big fan of the recent, like connected animated straight to DVD universe that they've been doing for like past, like say eight years now, mm-hmm. um, it's still consistent. It's very consistent. And you know, it follows, and you know, they also have done original, other original stories. Like, um, the last one that I recently watched was Superman, um, Red Sun, mm-hmm. you know, really well done. Well, I mean, it's, it's well animated. I'll say that. <laughs> is, is when you think about these big companies, obviously they have these long legacies of comics, as you kind of touched on with perhaps repeating some stories and stuff like that. So, when you think of yourself possibly, you know, in a dream role, in a dream role, working for one of these guys, how important is it to you? I'm sure I kind of probably already know the answer, but how important is it to you to find your own way in perhaps through, you know, through diversity, through um, original story, through any of these mediums, you know, do you, do you feel like you, have, I mean, cause a lot of people pull from life experience and things like that. Do you feel like you'd be able to, to contribute something that would be like the guy you mentioned who shook up the X-Men by doing one little thing? Do you, is that something you kind of think about? That is something I think about almost all the time. 
Like I'm not even, I'm not even gonna over, I'm not even going to cap or overhype like, um, almost all the time. Um, when it comes to me thinking about like how I would do this character or this character or this character back in the day, I would always be like, okay, how can I do this without piss without pissing off anybody? Mm-hmm. And you know, because back in the day I was like a super people pleaser. I was like, okay, no, I got to do this because I don't, I don't want anybody to hate me or anything like that. But you know, as I grew up and honestly, even as I've, you know, been on Twitter, you know, just looking at how the com- community comic community is, I've, I've learned like, no matter what you do, you're never going to please anybody. Mm-hmm. You're not going to please a single person. And I know people that are like, you know, they're, they're just like hating the X-Men right now because of the changes that they made. And, you know, people saying like, Oh, they should have went back doing what they were doing. You know, the X-Men are, are villains now and stuff like that. And I'm just like, dude, they literally had no stories left. Like, did you not read the last run? They didn't know what to do. But, but yeah, like I always think about, but now I think about, okay, how can I change the character? How can I do something new for the character? Because yeah, like I could, like if I was, if I was doing uh say like the flash, mm-hmm. I could easily do, like a, a really cool reverse flash story or a really great, um, was it, um, fight with the rogues or something like that. Or, you know, even maybe even like a, another time travel story or something like that, you know, but it's like, no, I want to do something, you know, different with the flash. Like I want to, you know, I want to, you know, test the flashes like, you know, like character, like his, his, his mortality, like his mortality, like not the, uh, I don't want him to face like, you know, another freak of the week, you know, or something like that. Like, I want to do something that's going to push his character forward. Like, like maybe even, maybe even like, you know, work on an entirely new flash or something like that. Like we're on a flash that, you know, hasn't been, you know, done in a while. Like, like, like I really, I really love the JSA. Like I've come to really love the JSA. Like I've I've come to love what they represent, who they are, and even the characters. Like I'm watching Stargirl right now. Freaking love that show strictly because of the JSA. Like um, don't worry, it has some it has some other flaws in there, but you know it's like the JSA part is, is amazing. And I would love to just continue doing some like. I would love to do like a final JSA story because they are the very first superheroes of the DC. Like they are what made DC DC besides sure. Superman. Right. Wonder Woman. <laughs> but um, yeah, they were like, you know, they were the first and I don't think any, and then people know about the JSA now because they brought them back, but no one's really read like a, no one's really made like a really great JSA story besides Jeff Johns, like back in 2006 how how important do you think it is like you know to reference interpret um like things that are going on in society things like that we're experiencing right now as far as um you know the black lives matter movement and things like that is it important to interpret it into comics or is it important to kind of um what's the wording kind of be a, be an entertainment source, maybe 
Um, you know, like I know a lot of people, like I listen to the scrubs podcast are doing a rewatch podcast, right. With the actors and they, they say, Oh, you know, with the coronavirus going on, we want to be a entertainment for you for an hour, make you laugh for an hour, kind of distract you. Do you find that comics should be more of a distraction, more of a, a, uh, source for change, a combination of both? They should be, they should be a combination of both because that's what, that's, that's, originally what they were in the first place, <laughs> back, back, way back in the day, like, you know, back during WW2, mm-hmm. like, like, you know, they were, you know, you had a comic book about a man who had basically dressed in the American flag and punching Hitler. That was obviously propaganda for World War II, but it was also entertainment because we did, because back then they didn't know what was actually going, well, they probably had like radio chats and stuff like that, but they didn't know what was really going on over in the trenches. So right. you know, they wanted to, you know, lift our, you know, lift their spirits up with, you know, some enjoyment slash propaganda, AKA comics at the time. And that's what comics should always be. They should always be that between. And when they become too much on one side or too much on the other, that's when they start to, you know, dip. Yeah. Because I've certainly, I, not as much with the comics, but certainly with like, you talked about the CW shows briefly before, you know, I've, I've seen a couple episodes where I felt like they could have been maybe a hair preachy or clearly, you know, trying to get a point across or something like that. And it's like, I respect that. I like that they're doing that and, and showing their stance on it, but I don't want it to be perhaps in, in, uh, or to, in, in, in hurting the quality story that they had or were building towards. So I think I agree. I think there should be a fine balance and I think, but there's also a bit of an ebb and flow, right? Like something. So a situation right now is a prime time to really say, you know, and I think in X-Men, I mean, they were built, right. They were created in the civil rights movement and kind of allegories for what was going on, kind of how Captain America was the allegory for World War II and the American soldier. We were seeing X-Men as these representations of the civil rights, right? Martin Luther King, uh, Malcolm X, things like that. Ironically using the X again, I guess. Um, uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, even though Malcolm X was Magneto, right? Or Magneto was yeah. vice versa, whatever. Um, but regardless, it's yeah, it's interesting that people have found a way to um, present information in a way that's both yet entertaining and you're like, huh, you know, I never thought of it that way. Or yes, I agree with that. And, and kind of trying to build towards this better place. Man. All right. Well, like first, firstly, don't even get me started on CW. Oh, oh man. That's a whole nother podcast, right? A whole nother podcast, brother. But, um, but yeah, like, um, like, we, like, just like there, my, my favorite, favorite, favorite X-Men story of all time is, is it's a really small story too. Like, it's not even a big sprawling, like epic, like, you know, out in space. Like it's not the Phoenix saga or days of future past right. it's called God loves man kills. It's the, it's a story of, um, this reverend called William, William Stryker. And he basically, like, he, he basically has this 
racist mutant um racist great racist mutant group and they go out and they literally just kill mutants whether they be children or grown men and they found these two kids and and they hung them and you know and the funny thing about it is it wasn't it, the thing about x-men during that time it wasn't even it, like the what the what the guy was trying to do chris claremont what he was trying to do he wasn't trying to pin it as like Oh, these two black kids got lynched. It was these two mutants got lynched. Mm-hmm. They, were, they happened to be black too. So you know, and 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 that's when it really hit me when I was noticing, like, wow, like you know, like mutants. But the thing about it is, like, my the allegory for mutants isn't just for black people. Like, it, like they showed it throughout the entire book. It was for every type of minority because uh, there was a point where the Reverend points at Nightcrawler. And he's like, how can you call this thing a human being? And, you know, and, and, you know, it's, and the funny thing about it is, and, you know, it's like with Nightcrawler, you know, he's a dark skinned individual and, you know, I'm not trying to get super, I'm not trying to get super deep on here, but, you know, you know, I got, you know, I got teased for my dark skin, you know, um, back in the day, you know, so, you know, it's like, it's like every single person can really relate their story to the X-Men. And, and the funny thing about the X-Men is that, they are diverse. Like they aren't just like, you know, like the stereotypical 19, like they are like the fantastic four, you know, just a group of, you know, just, just white dudes and, you know, just chilling, you know, doing their thing. Like, I mean, they were originally, but then the re- but then the whole thing that made them popular was the fact that they had like, they had this, they had, the, they had a chick from Africa who could, you know, control weather. They had a guy from Russia who could turn to steel. They had a guy from, um, Ireland who could like scream and fly. They had a guy from Canada who had, you know, knives for hand, who had knives come out of his hands. Like they had this very diverse team and, you know, it, and it's like, and it, and it really just, it had a really good like inclusion and diversity in there, but that was like the balance that I'm talking about. Like you were able to have this cool action story, but have this also have this like, you know, like this, this inclusivity that we all really want, like, you know, that, that America was, was founded on, but you know, that we still have trouble dealing with to this day, but you know. Yeah. It's pretty crazy that, uh, that, um, we still have to, um, have, I mean, it's important to have these conversations, but the fact that it keeps coming up, it's, it's, you know, we watch the news and, um, and, you know, of course it's a lot of things at once, right? We have the coronavirus, like you mentioned at the beginning of the show, we have the, um, civil unrest, we have this and we have that. And it's like, some people I'm sure are at points like, when does it end? You know, but it's, it's one of those things. It's like, um, like I just watched Hamilton over the weekend and some of the, a lot of the things that they were mentioning in that are just as relevant today. And I'm like, wow, you know, like, I I can't believe 244 years, which really in the grand scheme of things is not a long time, but it's certainly long enough to get one's act together as far as all this craziness. And to me, I've just like, I'm baffled to hear and see that these kinds of things still exist in 2020. You know, you know, it's really funny that like um, when I'm when I'm thinking about, you know, when I'm just looking at the 
you know, just the world as a whole right now, you know, with everything that's going on, like, you know, a lot of people are talking about like, Oh my God, it's the apocalypse. Like, Oh my God, it's the end of the world. I'm like, first off, one, it's not the end of the world, but I will agree. Things are really crazy right now, but like, this is literally like the opportune time for us to, you know, like, like, you know, to come together and to, you know, see if we can fix this together because Corona affects all of us. Like, and, and the civil unrest affects all of us in the U S in the U S but like so much stuff is like, there's a lot of stuff out here right now. That's really dividing all of us. And this should be the point where we should all like, you know, come together, like, you know, be, be, like, be smart, be like, okay, this is a serious thing that is happening. Too many people are dying. We need to wake up. We need to work this out. Yeah. I, I think about it and it's like, why is this not bothering more people? Right. Because like, again, we see these things on the news, people dying left and right. And not only from the disease, but they're getting sad on, they're doing, they're getting shot, they're getting whatever. It's like, and people are like, yeah, well, it's sad. It's like, it's more than just sad. It's, it's ridiculous. Again, like I said, that this is still happening. Why is it not bothering more people than it is? And I, I mentioned in a couple episodes ago, you know, I, I, I was able to, uh, I'm, I'm able to still work. So I was able to, I was like, I, I wanted to make a, a donation here and there to some of these organizations because I'm at work. I have to go, I still go out for work and stuff. So I'm not able to go to these places where these protests and these things are happening. So I was like, I, I want to still be able to feel like I'm doing my part and sharing information and all this stuff. But yeah, ultimately it boils down to, it's like, this needs to bother everybody until it isn't happening anymore. And now look, we're humans. People are always going to have differences of opinion, but like to go to this extreme is, I, I, I don't even know what the words are because it's like, and again, for it to ha- be happening this long and this many years later, when the, one of the first lines of your, of our independence is all men are created equal. And of course we've now men as in the human, you know, all man, the human race, whatever, but all but yet and we sit there and right we and we stand behind this piece of paper and we stand behind this flag and we stand behind all this stuff but it's hypocritical if you're saying one thing and acting another way right and i i'm look i'm a patriot i celebrated fourth of july this year i'm happy to be in this country but because i'm happy to live in america because i know we're going to be something great. We're, we're, we have the resources, the, the drive, the passion to be great, but we're not there yet. And, and, you know, you know, that's, that's, it's, it's kind of the thing that, you know, it's like, you know, I really like, okay. Like as a black man in America, like, you know, as, growing up, like, you know, my dad, you know, he, he, um, he was in the, he was in the armed forces and, you know, I really, you know, I looked up to him doing that. Like, you know, I, like I even, you know, pondered joining the army when I got older because I, you know, I just, I wanted to, 
I wanted to be a hero, you know, like, you know, I, I wanted to do that. And, you know, when it got to, when it got to that point for me, when I was like, you know, starting to seriously think about that, you know, that's, you know, that's when, you know, I started to learn more and more about black history, because if there's another thing about, you know, there's a, it's an unfortunate thing about black history is that not a lot of individuals my age or even a little bit younger really know their black history like that. So when we start to learn and then we start to, it, it changes the viewpoint, it changes our viewpoint and we, and we start to look at things differently. I'm, I'm speaking from my, my own personal viewpoint sure. and you know, you start to wonder, it's just like, you know, and, and you start to wonder, it's just like, you know, how can I, how can I truly like, you know, I, I love this country and, and, you know, the country has given me an opportunity that literally nowhere else would have if I was born over there. But it's also just like, you know, it's like, how can, how can I, how can I like, you know, fully love this country if this country, like, if it feels, if it feels like this country doesn't fully love me, you know, like, like we're all Americans, but you know, you know, and yes, America is a melting pot of different cultures, different people and things like that. But it's moments like that where it just makes us feel so like, you know, separated because, because, you know, like, yes, like, like a million, like, like, I can say that in 2020, minorities are able to do much more than they were able to do, like, just say 20, 30 years ago. Actually, no, let's say about 40, 40 years. Let's say about that at the latest, um, at the earliest. And, you know, to still be having, you know, these additional, you know, problems and troubles that we are. And I'm just like, dude, like, you know, America, like we could, we could be so much more, but we always seem to, we always seem to take two steps forward. And, and then sometimes it feels like it's two steps, two steps back. Like, I don't, I don't want to say that we're stagnant because we have made progress, but some, it, but when we have situations like what we're having right now, it's like, have we, were we ever, did we ever move forward? Or was it just an illusion? Right. Yeah, no, that's well said. And something, something I've um, realized in the last, I, I would say year, but probably a few years where it's like really hit me is I've started to realize that the only person that I can truly understand, and even that's sometimes a little wonky is myself, right? Like we've, we've been saying throughout this whole thing, oh, I can only speak for myself, right? Because you can only speak for yourself or let me rephrase that. You should only speak for yourself in that, you know, you and I didn't have a, the same background, right. Or, and, and, or a childhood or this or that, not only because of race, but because of where we grew up because of financial situations, whatever it is, we had different backgrounds. Now, obviously we're friends now and we're, you know, uh, connected and whatever, but I'm not going to sit here and say, Oh, I know exactly how you feel. And I'm sure you wouldn't say it the other way around because I didn't live in your shoes and you didn't live in my shoes. And, and that goes for everybody, not just between you and I, but so something that I've realized is again, I can only say for me. And so when somebody asks, Oh, uh, or, or, 
is talking about, oh, I, I've, I'm dealing with depression, I'm dealing with this or that situation or that. If something I've never dealt with, I try not to put my two cents in because I don't have two cents for them as far as, um, it's like, I don't know what that's like. You know, that's, that's extremely horrible that someone has, has to go through that and I'll help you in any way I can, but I'm not going to sit here and be like, Oh, I know exactly how you feel because again, I don't. And I think that's perhaps something that, you know, that there's that, uh, age old expression of like walk around in someone else's shoes for a minute or, or kind of see it from their perspective. And like, I think that's all well and good, but I think there's only to a certain extent that you can do that. Right. Because, you know, there's always going to be things that, you know, not everybody's a sharer. Not everybody wants to tell you that or, or, or wants to relive these kinds of things. And um, yeah, but, all in all, what I basically am trying to get at is, um, I don't, I no longer, and I obviously I, I'm not perfect at this, but I no longer try to pretend like I know anybody but myself with certain situations. Right. And, um, and uh, to me, I think it's, it's helped me greatly because, uh, you know, uh, yeah, I think it's just been helpful to me to not uh, assume anything of somebody else if that makes sense mm, no I, yeah i get you no like you know you um you don't want to act like you, you don't want to act like you know like um like like that guy that's like oh yeah you know you just do a little quick fix you know do this and you know call it a day like no it's not that simple Right. It's, it's like, um, people say, Oh, I'm, I was just feeling sad today. Oh, when you say back, uh, just get over it or, uh, yeah, you'll be fine. Well, how do you know the, do you have this situation? Do you, and even if uh, I depression just keeps coming to mind because it's, it's come up a lot. I feel like, you know, again, I, I've been fortunate enough that that really hasn't happened to me on these grander scales that some of friends that I know have had it happen. So um, old me would have been like, ah, you'll be fine. Or you'll be this, or, um, you know, when I'm feeling down, I do this and this, it's like, okay, well that might work for you, but it's not the same for somebody else and whatever. And so, yeah, you can only be res as respectful as possible and, um, just try to understand and try to be for the, be there for somebody as much as they want you to. And I think you also kind of have to respect not, not to say when they don't want you, but sometimes it's, you know, like I need the space or you need this or whatever. And to kind of bring it back to what we were discussing just before it's, it's important to, um, because I think a lot of other groups are trying to jump on this black lives matter movement and almost make it seem like it's, what am I trying to say here? Like it, it's, it's one, one fight at a time, right? We're, we're the, the best analogy I've heard recently is you're on a, you're on a street houses on fire. You call the fire department. Who's the, what house are they going to go to first? They're going to go to the house that's on fire, right? You're not going to put water on a house. that's not on fire. You're mm -hmm. going to go to the house that's on fire. So 
that's, I think what we have to, we have to kind of focus that effort and say, this is what we're doing. How can we help? You know, I get a lot of people that like, you know, that, that I don't know how they continuously like confuse what the, the, the meaning and purpose of black lives matter. Like, it, it, like they've been confusing it so much that it almost gets to the point of, of ridiculousness. Like, I'm just like, okay, now you guys have to just be making this stuff up at this point because we, we, we said like, you know, what the movement is, what it's for and, and that it, it, it it's never going to stop. <laughs> it's never going to stop until we, we get some type of reform, you know, because it's, that that's all it is. And when people, and you know, I never really even understood how people can go and say all lives matter, and, you know, and, and stuff like that, because I'm just like, it's not that difficult. Right. I, and I think out of the gate, and this is something that part of being better or educating myself on and, and learning and all this stuff, I'm sure when it, I don't know when the movement as a, as that label came out, but I'm sure when it first did, I was probably one of those that was like all live. And then I quickly was like, wait a minute. And, and I, somebody said it to me perfectly where it's like, in order for all lives to matter, black lives have to matter as far as bringing them up. It goes back to that at house analogy, right? In order for all houses to not be on fire, you have to put the one that's on fire out first. And that's why I love that analogy because it's like, ah, okay. Put the one that's in trouble first in order to bring them all up. And I'm like, okay, so now I'm an advocate or, or someone who's like, I'm not trying to be like this, like, look at me, but I'm just trying to say like, I now can understand. Okay. That's what it means. I'm with you. I'm on board. You know, I'm all for that. But something I've tried to think about, you know, because we obviously have these protests, we have people trying to make change is what's, what's the move that allows us like what to, I don't want to say stop it or end it because like you said, it's, it's, it's a, something that's not just going to go away. Right. It's and it, nor should it. So what's, what's the, uh, best move going forward, right? Like you kind of said change and, and maybe you kind of hinted at like legislation and things like that. What's in your opinion, at least kind of what needs to happen? Uh, I was talking about, I was talking, funny enough, I was talking about this with my mom. Uh, well, actually she was, she actually gave me the idea and I never really thought about it before, but yeah, we need to change. There's some laws that need to be changed. But, um, and, and it's funny because, um, she was telling me there's like certain laws, you know, for police officers for when they get arrested. Mm -hmm. And, and even if, um, and the funny thing about it is it's like, even if they do this certain thing, it's, it's like a, it's like, there's like a special, it's like a special type of evidence that needs to be there okay. for that police officer to get the full punishment because also, because, you know, he's a police officer, he gets more, you know, stuff than the normal everyday civilian. Right. And, and that's the one thing, that's the thing that needs to start first. You need to start, you know, people need to start really looking at the laws, really looking at, you know, what needs to be changed or, you know, what needs to be changed, what needs to be amended, something like that. Because funny enough, like, you know, like the bill of rights 
and you know the start you know like the very the very start of like all the laws and things like that like even the declaration of independence you know the like I said, I'm not really trying to get, I'm not really trying to get really, really deep on this podcast, Dan, but you know, you know, it's like, it wasn't made for, it wasn't made for, you know, for, for black people. It wasn't made for minorities. It wasn't made for native Americans. You know, right. No, you're right. It wasn't made for us. So, you know, it's, and, and I'm not trying to say that, you know, they've, they've tried to keep the laws the way they are, you know, to, to, to hold our people back. But I, I, I personally believe because if 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 the former is true, then we're in some serious trouble. But if the latter, which is what I believe is that I don't think we really looked at the laws all the way through to make sure that they are, you know, applicable for everyone. Yeah, I, it seems like and I've thought about this, too, as far as the amendments, I'm like. You know, there was a brief time, it seemed like in the, the turn of, this, of the 1900s that like, that we did like in a span of 20 years, like three amendments, right? And mm-hmm. we haven't done one, I think since, and I could be completely wrong, but I'm trying to remember my Bill of Rights. I believe either prohibition or the right for women to vote. One of those two, I think was the last, one of the last amendments. Either way, it's been almost 60 or 80 years since an amendment. Do you know how different the world is between now and 60 or 80 years ago? And we haven't changed a single law. That to me is like crazy because it's like all we do is change, right? They, uh, somebody told me the only thing that stays the same is change, right? I'm sure some famous person said that. I'm not sure. But why are we not changing with it, right? And saying, you know what? We should probably reexamine these things, right? And 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 look at, I'm not saying throw out the the old and start over, but there's certainly room for, for a, a tweak. Yeah. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, the piece of papers, these that we are, we're holding onto are about to like disintegrate and we're holding them like their law, you know? And uh, again, we should, because part of it is, there's a lot of good in there, right? Good intentions, good stuff in there, right? It's a lot of it's been working up to this point, but again, I think it, it deserves, and we as a society deserve a little bit of a reexamination, and it's like just a little, a little facelift, you know, bringing us into this new, a new decade. We're 20 years into this new millennium. We're again 60 or 80 years removed from the the last. Uh, rule we made or uh, amendment we changed rather. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yes, I, I wholeheartedly agree though that the, the, and I, I think some people are getting mixed up in the wordage. Um, and of course people hear things the way they, they want to hear it. Right. And, and unfortunately sometimes you can't change that, but I think it's not so much get and I could be wrong, but I've, I like to think I've been doing some good research. It's not so much get rid of police. It's just, again, hold them more accountable and spread kind of, for lack of a better phrase, spread the wealth around a little bit, right? Like my brother's been pretty, pretty close in following all this stuff. And he was saying like, you know, make more, he, he used the example of 
you know, your dog runs away, you're not going to call the police to get, go find your dog. You might find, you might call a search group or something like that, right? You don't need an armed person to come and look for your dog with you. You just maybe need some neighbors Mm -hmm. and a friend, right? Or domestic abusers, there are different things. It's like having better resources for mental health and doing this and taking things like that more serious. Um, so I'm, I'm, I get that. And I'm now I'm like, I think maybe a better word is maybe reform than defund, but I, I completely agree with the intention of it. Yeah. Like, uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's what, that's like, yeah. When we say, you know, defund the police, yeah, we, we mean, you know, yeah. Police reform. Right. You know, you know, like when we, when, this is one thing I can say about like about black people. When we when we say one thing, we really mean it in this other way. But you know, what what's what's one thing to one person is another thing to another person. I'll I'll just I'll put it like that. But yeah, yes. that's that's more or less like you know the the point. Like yeah, like that's what because it's just like you know they should have you know more thing because a lot of you know like, you know, you bring police in to deal with a person with mental health issues, you know, they're not really a bad person, but you know, they got, you know, stuff going on and, you know, they don't need a person with, you know, with a gun in the face. They need a person that's going to talk with them. You know, we don't need, and then, you know, you end up, and then that person ends up being another statistic. statistic. Yeah. Yeah. And, And you know, that's, that's what we need. We need, we don't need any more statistics. Like, yes, I I wholeheartedly agree. I um, you know, I was going to say something added on to it, and then I got into listening to what you're saying, and now I don't remember. Um, I don't know. Either way, you're right. I I agree. Um, it's uh. You know, it 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 boil when you boil down to it, it's not crazy things, right? That people want, right? And it's and I also think it's important for people to know that it's. I I think we all know that it's not. Oh, I remember what I was going to say now. Um, that I think media, both TV, news, and social media, play such a big part skewing opinions both one way or another and i've had many a conversations with people on it and we it's so it's so interesting to me because again it plays into this this small interest i have in people you know this um i guess it's anthropology or the, or even sociology or any of these kind of things this study of people and interaction and all this stuff yeah 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 and it's interesting to me for the reason that every person that I talk to has kind of the same opinion as far as social media has done more harm than good. Not to say that it hasn't done good because right. It reconnects people. It keeps people connected. uh, It's you're sharing things, you're whatever. But in all of that, there's also things like we feel like we have to present ourselves as a character is something I had a conversation with a a friend of mine about, right? We play these 
characters on our social media. We're only showing good things or, you know, all this stuff or because it's written on a screen that we read, it must be true. And, you know, without doing any research and doing all this stuff. And like, I've become more and more of a reader, not only of books, but just articles and things. And just in general of like, okay, I see it. I mean, even as something as uh, silly as Michael Keaton might be coming back as Batman. I'm like, okay, hold on. Let me read from the, from this credible source or what I think is this credible source and that credible source. Let me check that over three or four different places. Right. Not read it from jo- I always use Joe Schmo's blog. And if there is a Joe Schmo's blog out there, I'm sorry for insulting you, but all I'm saying is you gotta, we have to be willing to put in a little extra work nowadays and, and double check where we get our information before we go on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, blah, blah, blah. And plaster and and that's on both sides i'm i'm not gonna lie and say it's only on one side or the other that's on both sides i'm someone who's pretty middle on a lot of things or or really everything and even in the middle we all we all have our faults right with that and uh i think it it ends up boiling down to these social apps and i've tried to reduce my footprint on them as much as i can um Mm -hmm. but I, i and i don't know if it's the same for more of what we were trying to do, but I know, especially for like film, film stuff and photography and whatever social media plays such an important role as far as staying connected with people, sharing work and, and sliding into DMS, right? Like this, I, for the longest time, I forgot I had your number, which I could have just texted you directly, but here I am on Instagram, right? Messaging, Hey, you want to be on the podcast and whatever. Mm-hmm. And it just, it's unfortunately that's kind of the way things are going. So it's like, I, I got off Facebook for a while and I kind of hopped back on, but in a way reduced amount, like I don't have it on my phone. I just check it maybe once every couple of days mm-hmm. because again, I'm using it as a tool, not a um, time waster. Yeah, that's uh yeah. You know what? I've also, you know, like I've also, you know, just checked back on my, on my time is on my time as well. Like, like the only time that I really do get on Twitter is, you know, one to check out, you know, because, um, I follow a lot of, um, a lot of my favorite artists and writers on there. So, you know, keep up to date on that. And then after that, you know, I'm just sending memes to my girlfriend every day (laughs) and that's it. And, um, but yeah, I have kicked back on there because as much as I like, you know, like, I have a couple, I have, I'm in like a couple solid, safe comic communities on Twitter that, you know, good friends, good online friends and stuff like that. You know, like I don't, I don't know them personally. They're just, you know, cool people. You know, they don't, they don't do nothing crazy, but if you stay on there long enough, it, it just gets dark. <laughs> and I'm like, I'm not dealing with that. I, I'm not trying to deal with any of that. So I mainly, if I ever go on Twitter, it's for like at most 10 minutes. Yeah. And then I'm like, all right, I'm done. I'm, I'm off. And the safest social media platform that I can honestly say that I really just, that I like is, is Instagram because it's, it's very artist friendly. It's very artist friendly. I like, you know, I love that place. And, you know, I was, um, at first I was thinking about, you know, checking out, you know, what the Patreon stuff and everything is everything like that, you know, and, um, but 
Yeah. You know, for the most part, you know, yeah. Twitter is a very toxic place. You know, um, Facebook is, it isn't as toxic as it used to be back in the early days. I'll say that, but you know, it, you know, it has its moments. <laughs> um, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, Shout out to Pinterest though. That place is great. I love Pinterest. It's given me a lot of great ideas. Um, I have like a whole pen collection, just all dedicated to Bruce, like everything that Bruce Tim has drawn, like every Marvel and DC character. And I'm like, wow, this guy is talented. Yeah. I've, I've found that to be a pretty useful tool as well, especially it's good. Um, when, like, at least for me, I'm not always the best with, um, cause I, I can't draw, I can't do any of that kind of stuff. So as far as trying to explain an idea or present something to somebody is like, Oh, this is what I'm thinking. Mm-hmm. Pinterest could be a good source for that. Like if I do like a, um, like a photo shoot type of thing, even just with friends and stuff, one of my favorites to do is like the old Hollywood glamor photos, like noir, film noir type stuff. Love those. I love the lighting, the dramaticness of it and all that. And sometimes people are like, what? Like, what are you, what are you talking about? And I can be like, oh, this. And I just pull up a picture like, oh, let's try to recreate this or, you know, uh, or our version of it or whatever. And so I agree. I've, I've, well, I don't have Bruce Tim drawings. Mine is more filled with different lighting, not just noir stuff, but, you know, favorite photographers of mine who've done portrait work and, some of the stuff they've done. I've, I've a couple of times, you know, swapped out, obviously they're taking a picture of a celebrity at a thing, you know, and in a studio or whatever, well, I've used my friend, but did the exact same lighting and had good results. And it's something that they didn't show the lighting, but I was at least able to be like, Oh, you know what? There, it kind of looks like a light and you just experiment and play around and like, it's, it's been a great tool for me, which I guess is more or less what you were kind of getting at as well. Yeah. Pretty much. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah. So I, I think that's a pretty good spot to, uh, end. we'll end on a nice happy note of Pinterest. So yes, I agree. Shout out to Pinterest. <laughs> um, but man, it was good to talk to you. I appreciate you coming on and uh, giving me a little bit of your Wednesday night. I'm sure you're a busy guy. Yeah. I mean, you know, um, like now, like, yeah, like um, during this time, like right now, you know, this is like my chill time because like my days like go by like that. Like I wake up at nine, do my work all the way to about two thirty, two thirty, three o'clock. And then, you know, I, you know, I chill out. I, you know, I eat and, you know, chill out and stuff. And then afterwards I got to, you know, get my stuff ready for class tomorrow. So, you know, my days just it's fast. Yeah. I don't do anything. I have a whole comic collection of old school Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles that I got from Amazon. Haven't touched them at all. Just sitting there. Yeah. Well, that's what the weekends are for, right? And uh, unless uh, I'm sure you're prepping for the Monday or the next week for that as well, though. Unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> so is that uh, um, your, your teaching? So is that a, is that a summer class you're doing? Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is a summer class I'm doing right now. And um, then, you know, I don't know how we're coming back in the fall. They're talking about doing some crazy stuff, but I don't want to say nothing that's not concrete because I don't even think I'm supposed to even know that. <laughs> now, um, 
I, I don't think you mentioned it before, but what uh, you teach college level, high school level? It depends. Um, the area that I work at, it's, um, you know, I work at them on a contract basis and we go everywhere. Like where to it be a uh, elementary school, middle school, high school. Oh, I see. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. The, um, Theo Booker, um, teaches as well, but he teaches community college level or mm. college level, whatever you want to call it. Um, I, that was definitely, or, and still is a route that I've, uh, considered I think because I feel like film is one of those fields that like you can teach it and also like especially with the summers off have time to do like your projects because I'm not one of those people that necessarily like wants to be like uber famous or anything like that but I just like the idea of having the time and energy to make cool stuff um, which is kind of why I dip uh, my toe in a lot of different things, you know, podcasts, and then I do photography and I do that because I have a lot of interest personally. Yeah. Um, but yes, I, I've certainly thought of teaching and stuff like that. So it seems like the more and more people I hear doing it, especially of our age and graduating class and all that stuff, I'm like, hmm, I might have to look into that a little bit more seriously. Yeah, it, yeah, it definitely, um, you know, it definitely helps. I'm not going to lie. Um, and you know, doing your own stuff. Like, you know, like I'm still doing my own stuff in the summer, even while I'm in the midst of doing the summer program, because, right. you know, cause you know, like I had to, like I said before, I had to reschedule a lot of stuff, but, um, but yeah, like teaching, like I can honestly say, like, I never thought that I would be teaching. Like I only did teaching as like this little temporary gig because I was already doing, you know, something else, but then I just kind of stuck with it. And, you know, I just, it ended up, being um, really cool, you know, especially, you know, being able to teach the kids different art techniques and things of that nature. Yeah. Do, you, do you find that like through teaching it's, it's inspiring you more to work on your own things? Oh yeah, exactly. It, yes, it definitely does. And it also like, it also helps me as well. Like, you know, whenever I'm doing whenever, whenever I'm doing my own personal work and, you know, I want to be like, okay, so what's the, like, we you know, what's the current dialogue right now? Because if I was to do dialogue off the top of my head, it probably would be straight up early 2000s, 90s dialogue. And I'm like, okay, do people still want to hear that? Is that the voice that people want to hear? And I'm like, all right, well, let me, let me see how people, how do people talk now? Like, I know how I talk and you know how we talk and stuff like that. But I'm like, how do, how do other people, how do other people talk? Like, what's their language? Mm. No, I like doing that, you know, to make sure I know, like, how everybody, you know, how to make a world pretty much. That's interesting. I never even really thought about that, something like that. Cause I, you know, I write a lot of little scripts and things like that, that we produce and, and things like that. And I never, I mean, I, I obviously, of course I think about dialogue and, and whatnot, but I've never put it in that type of context where I would think of myself as not being up with the conversation, even though the the running joke with me is people say I'm like old soulish. Um, cool. and like old, my dad calls me pop pop. Um, <laughs> so, uh, part of me is like, Hmm, that now you're going to have me second guess them and be like, is that something we say like 20 mid 20 year olds say, or is it just my, uh, old man brain that would say something like that? I'm going to, I'm going to be, uh, every time now and to be like, 
damn it, Doug, you got me second guessing myself. But, um, but at least if it, if it leads to better content, then I'm okay with it. But you'd be surprised how like because you know it's really funny. The funny thing about it is it's like when I'm like when I when I find like say for instance like I finally get into like you know doing an animated show or something like that. You know, it's like I would like to do a show for my generation, you know, from my people be like, Hey guys, I made this old thing that we used to watch, but like 10 times better. Check this out. And she's like, no, I'm going to be making it for whichever kids, whichever age range, you know, they want me to make it for. So it's like, so I'm like, okay, how do these kids like talk right now? Like, you know, because the way I talk, you know, the way I talk to them, they're going to think I'm like some old dude, like I'm old man. I'm like, you know, I'm only 25. It's like to them, that's old. Yeah. Like, you know, like, you know, just, it's a lot. I'll just say that. <laughs> yeah. I understand that. But listen, if you ever do get the chance to make an animated show, you, you let me know because I'd love to um, voice a part in it. And the first, I'll tell you right now, the very first animated show I am making is Space Ghost. You've heard of Space Ghost? Of course. And my dad, he loves Space Ghost. That was one of the things he like really introduced me to. <laughs> Damn dog. Um, and um, when I saw that, I was like, dude, this guy's like space Batman. Yeah. Like, you know, he's got, he's got, he's got like a, he's got like the Batgirl type. He's got the Robin. He's mm-hmm. even got a little, little Ace, the Bathound type, you know, little pet character. And I was like, oh man, I, I love this. I'm going to make a, I'm going to make a show about this. Another show. I'm going to reboot it. Mm, but yeah yeah all right man well i'll let you go i appreciate you uh like i said coming on and uh i'll definitely have to talk to you soon i i we as soon as all this coronavirus stuff is uh over I, we definitely have to catch up and uh, hang out in person yeah man totally but all right man i'll let you go have a good night all right dan i'll talk to you later man you got it bye Peace.